We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 629 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. And whereas it turns out that some commander's offensive players have had concerns with Eric Bieniemy, I hope you know that you should have no concerns with this podcast. You don't have any concerns with this podcast, do you? Wait a minute. You do? And you went to Ron Rivera with those concerns? And now he's revealing those concerns to the world? Ah, oh, come on! What are you doing to me? <laughs> Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, whatever your concerns may be, they hopefully will be put to rest by the end of the show. Although, I can't promise you anything. But coming up next segment, I will react to and go in-depth on that <laughs> which was all the hubbub at Commander's Training Camp on Tuesday morning. Head coach Ron Rivera during a pre-practice press conference revealing that Commander's offensive players have come to him regarding the coaching style of assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, and that Ron encouraged those players to talk to Bieniemy. And then Ron, in a response to a follow-up question, said, that players, quote, were a little concerned, end quote. And then we had the enemy in a post-practice press conference responding to all of this. Uh, Now, was what happened on Tuesday morning some disastrous, cataclysmic occurrence? No. But it certainly was notable. It is interesting, and it absolutely is worth discussing. And so next segment, I will play for you all of the key audio in its entirety. Always remember, no podcast or show gives you unfiltered commander's audio like this podcast does. And I'll give you my thoughts on what was said. Uh, additionally, I next segment will give you the latest on tight end Logan Thomas, who continues to be out with this calf strain. Uh, and I'll discuss some roster moves that the team announced on Tuesday morning. Also on the show, the Nationals, a doubleheader split at the Philadelphia Phillies on Tuesday. Game one, an 8-4 loss in a game in which the Nats blew a 3-0 third inning lead. Game two, a 5-4 win in a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-2 seventh inning deficit. First baseman Joey Manessis, two home runs. He and the Nats Two-run seventh, had a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to left field to tie the game at four. And then Manessis in an Nats one-run ninth, a one-out tie-breaking solo homer to left field on a one-two pitch for a 5-4 Nats lead. Uh, and <laughs> I will talk about a brutal loss for the Orioles on Tuesday night, a 7-6 loss to the Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in a game in which the O's blew a 6-2 eighth inning lead. The ace reliever, Felix Batista, the man known as the Mountain, uh, well, the Mountain was scaled. Uh, Batista, in the top of the ninth, gave up a one-out grand slam by Kyle Tucker to right field 
for a 7-6 Astros lead to conclude a nine-pitch plate appearance in which Tucker had been down at 1.02 and in which Tucker fouled off each of the previous four pitches before the pitch that resulted in the Grand Slam. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Stanley Evans on Rotten Rivera. Write, Stanley, how hot is Rivera's seed? And if Josh Harris does make a change, how far are you setting the team back, especially the defense if Jack Del Rio is not back? Uh, Thank you for the email, Stanley. Well, uh, if things are not going well with Ron Rivera and our new owner, our new managing partner of the Commanders, Josh Harris, fires Ron, uh, but then hires quality new leadership, uh, then firing Ron may not set the team back at all. Firing Ron could propel the team to greatness, perhaps as soon as the 2024 season. We, in recent NFL history, have seen enough instances of head coaches in their first or second seasons with teams doing really well to where a team firing a head coach no longer means that the team is embarking on this like multi-year rebuild. A team can rebuild in one offseason. A team can win while rebuilding. I think what's going to be especially interesting if Josh does end up firing Ron is then what? Does Josh go with the traditional approach of hiring a general manager and then letting the GM hire the head coach? Does Josh go with a young GM who then hires a young offensive-minded head coach? Would Josh be open to another wait for it, (laughs) coach-centric approach. I mean, here's a crazy thought for you. So Ben Volan, senior NFL writer for the Boston Globe, he last month wrote this, quote, Belichick's friends have privately said they are worried that he is on the hot seat in 2023, end quote. That would be Belichick as in Bill Belichick, the greatest head coach in NFL history, and a man who, remember, has significant ties to the Washington, D.C. area. Bill Belichick went to Annapolis High School in Annapolis, Maryland. What if the unthinkable happened? What if the Patriots, after this season, parted with Bill Belichick? Would Josh Harris be interested in Bill Belichick? Should Josh Harris be interested in in Bill Belichick. Would Bill Belichick have any interest in coming to run the Commanders? Just something to think about. I mean, remember, the Redskins for one season did have the uh, previous GOAT of NFL head coaches, Vince Lombardi, as the team's head coach, right? Uh, 1969. And actually, Vince wasn't just the Skins head coach. He was their head coach. He was in charge of player personnel, and he actually was part owner of the Skins. Uh, Email from John Grandland, John G., on something that I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 628, the uh, Kevin Brown fiasco for the Orioles. Uh, Kevin Brown, one of the play-by-play announcers for the Ozon Mass, and him reportedly essentially getting suspended for simply noting the Orioles' previous struggles in games at the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, as him noting those struggles, apparently angered Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos. This situation blew up on Monday, writes John G. Al, long time. Hope you're doing well. Pod has been great. And the name talk gets the blood boiling every time. Keep it up. Thank you, John, continues John. Any chance with a 70-year-old Bob Carpenter, who might call it quits any day now, that the Nats could steal Kevin Brown away next year? He is great. Uh, Thank you for the email, John. Yeah, Bob Carpenter is 70. He still is very good, but Bob in recent years has done fewer Nats games than in the past. Uh, This is Bob's 18th season as the lead play-by-play announcer for Nats games on Mass, and his first season was 2006. Kevin Brown is really good. The problem with the Nats going with him as their lead television play-by-play announcer is that he would be doing those games for Masson. And I don't know that the Nats could just force Kevin Brown back on Masson if he ends up no longer doing Orioles games after this season. The uh, Angelos family, of course, owns both the O's and Masson. Although it is true that broadcasters for Nats games are selected by the Nats and not Masson. Uh, Britt Giroli, senior MLB writer for The Athletic. Uh, she used to cover the O's for MLB.com. She late night on Monday night did report that Kevin Brown is expected to be back calling Orioles games on August 11th. But what cracks me up about this Kevin Brown situation, beyond how bad it has made John Angelos look, is how willing other broadcasters have been 
to crush Angelos and or the O's. You know, play-by-play announcers usually are pretty cautious with what they say. And yet, we on Monday afternoon slash Monday evening had a number of television play-by-play announcers for MLB teams showing support for Kevin Brown and or slamming John Angelos and or the O's. Gary Cohen, the television play-by-play announcer for the New York Mets. Michael Kay, the television play-by-play announcer for the New York Yankees. Tom McCarthy, the television play-by-play announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies. Dave O'Brien, the television play-by-play announcer for the Boston Red Sox. Jason Benetti, the television play-by-play announcer for the Chicago White Sox. All of these guys showed support for Kevin Brown and or slammed John Angelos and or the Orioles. And here's my takeaway from all of that, that these play-by-play announcers, again, usually a reserved conservative bunch regarding voicing criticism, were so willing to be critical of John Angelos shows you how disliked he is. That these play-by-play announcers had no qualms about sounding off on the Kevin Brown situation tells you (laughs) so much about how John Angelos and the Angelos family in general is viewed throughout baseball. Well, a law firm that is very well-liked because it is very good at what it does is Paulson and Nace, which just so happens to be a family law firm. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region, and Paulson and Nace has won millions of dollars for clients. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202 902- 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, please consider following this podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of this podcast. So Tuesday at 2023 Commander's Training Camp at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia was Military Appreciation Day. Uh, We on Tuesday morning had a padded practice that was open to fans. Uh, Tight end Logan Thomas on Tuesday morning did not practice, uh, marking a fourth consecutive practice day that he missed as he's dealing with a calf strain. Uh, Head coach Rod Rivera on Tuesday morning did a pre-practice press conference as opposed to a post-practice press conference. Here he was on Logan Thomas. I think the biggest thing with Logan is we're going to be really smart about that. This is not close to what it was last year, but the thing that we are concerned with is, is we don't want it to have it exacerbated by going out there too soon. So we've really done a lot in terms of work on the inside, um, the work on the bikes and stuff like that to avoid that type of situation until, until they feel comfortable with him in the next few days. We're not going to have him do anything outside yet. 
All right. Well, the recent injury history of Logan Thomas is hard to ignore. Logan in the 2021 regular season played in just six of Washington's 17 games due to a hamstring injury and then a season-ending torn left ACL, MCL, and meniscus. And Logan in the 2022 regular season played in 14 of the Commander's 17 games. He missed three games due to a calf injury. And now he is again dealing it with a calf injury. Uh, Also on Tuesday morning was the commanders announcing multiple roster moves. So the team announced the signings of two unrestricted free agents, safety Joshua Kalu and punter Colby Wadman. And the team announced the placements of two players on the reserve injured list, corner Troy Apke and interior defensive lineman Curtis Brooks. Uh, Apke reportedly has suffered a shoulder injury, and so the team assigned this guy, Joshua Kalu, who, like Apke, can shine on special teams, but Kalu can play safeties. Entering his age 28 season, he came into the NFL with the Tennessee Titans as an undrafted free agent out of Nebraska in May 2018. Kalu, over two stints with the Titans, played in 44 regular season games over the 2018 through 2020 and 2022 seasons. And he, in the 2022 regular season for the Titans, totaled 494 defensive snaps and a run defense grade for pro football focus of 93.5. That's excellent. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Curtis Brooks, he just got to the Commanders. The team last Thursday, August 3rd, signed Brooks as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, this is the corresponding roster move to putting interior defensive lineman David Botta on the reserve injured list due to a torn triceps. But now Brooks is on the reserve injured list. And the punter, Colby Wadman, uh, he has been signed to punt in the team's preseason opener this Friday night uh, due to Tress Wade dealing with lower back tightness. Uh, Commanders at the Cleveland Browns this Friday night at 7.30. Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning, did say that he expected Tress Wade to play at the Browns. Then the team on Tuesday morning announced the signing of Wadman. And then Ron, during his pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning, said that Tress will play at the Browns, but as the holder, <laughs> a game of semantics was being played by Ron Rivera. This was Ron on Tuesday morning. Well, it means Tress is going to play, but he'll be the primary holder. Okay, so he's going to hold for the uh, kicking operations. No, I told you tonight. Was I honest or not? <laughs> right? Well, you didn't ask for context. You just asked, is he going to play or not? And I said, yes, he'll play. If you had said, is he going to punt? Then I could have said no. I know, but he's also our primary holder for the operation. And that's probably the biggest thing that has to be, if anything's going to be good, it's got to be the operation. So he will, he will, he will, only thing he'll work on will just do the operation. But he is getting better. You know, he's he's done some more movements in in terms of um, simulating the kicks right now. So it's just a matter of time. All right. Actually, I thought that that was pretty funny from Ron Rivera. Some humor from Don Ron. However, uh, the most significant thing that was said by Ron at his pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning had to do with assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, who on Tuesday morning did a post-practice press conference that had been previously scheduled. So it's not like the Biennemi presser was put into effect off what Ron said at the pre-practice presser. We know the deal with Eric Biennemi, right? He is loud. He is demanding. He is big on attention to detail. He, during off-season and training camp practices, routinely has had players redo getting set for plays. Before we get to what was revealed by Ron Rivera on Tuesday morning. Let's establish how this started. Uh, This was an exchange between Commander's Insider John Kime of ESPN and Ron Rivera early in Ron's pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning. And Eric Bieniemy, you know, you spent a lot of time with him obviously through offseason and spring. Is there anything that you've learned more about either the impact he's kind of making already or anything from the summer in these couple weeks more about him? He's loud. Um... The, the, the beauty of, of, of Eric, and, and, and that is, again, it's, it's, it's from the perspective he has. I mean, he's been with an organization that's done some things um, differently, and one of the things that you know, he is very staunch about, you know, the, the way they, that, that he does it. Um, and that's something that's been different. And like I said, you know, I appreciate it because we're, we're out of our comfort zone. We're doing things a little bit differently. You know, I've been doing things for the most part the same way for 12 years, and it's, it's been good. But, you know, this is something that's been different. And it's been good for our guys, I think, as well, because um, you're starting to have these aha moments. And, you know, we go, ah, okay, I get it. I see what's going on. I see why this is happening. So that's been something I think that's been really good for us uh, as an organization and, and as a team as far as that's concerned. 
Okay, so Ron Rivera right there in talking Eric Bieniemy uh, talked about Bieniemy getting Ron and the players out of their comfort zones. Uh, now we fast forward to the end of Ron's pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning. The presser ended with this exchange between Commander's insider Nikki Javala of the Washington Post and Ron Rivera. Going back to Bieniemy and his intensity, have players had to kind of adapt to that and have any, I guess, sort of struggled with that at times? Yeah, I mean, they have. And and, and, and one of the biggest things is, is, is you know, and I've, I had a number of guys come to me and I say, hey, just go talk to him. I said, understand what he's trying to get across to you, you know, and and I think you know. I think as they go and they talk and they listen to them, it, it's it's been it's been enlightening for a lot of these guys. I mean, it's a whole different approach. Um, you know, you, you, again, you get a different kind of player from from the players back in the past, um, especially in light of how things are coming out of college football. So a lot of these young guys, you know, they do struggle with certain certain things. Um, and a lot of you also got to take for where they've been. I mean, guys coming from certain programs are used to it. Guys come from other programs aren't as much. So, you, you know, us as a coach, you know, I, I kind of have to assimilate and get a feel for everybody. You know, Eric has an approach, and it's the way he does things, and he's not going to change and, and, and because he believes in it. Jack has his approach. You know, um, having been a head coach, I think Jack has a tendency to try and figure guys out a little bit more. As opposed to, hey, this is it. This is the way it's going to be. That type of stuff. Where Eric, Eric hasn't had that 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 uh, that experience yet. And just that when they came to you, it was just they felt like Eric was riding them too hard, or. Well, um, they they just were a little concerned. All right. So Ron Rivera revealing that Commanders offensive players have come to him regarding Eric Bieniemy's coaching style and that Ron encouraged those players to talk to Biennemi. And then Ron, in his response to a follow-up question by Nikki Javala, said that players, quote, were a little concerned, end quote. And that's how the press conference ended. <laughs> quite the ending, quite the cliffhanger. Before we get to what Eric Biennemi said during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning, I do want to say this. Why did Ron Rivera even put out what he put out during his pre-practice press conference on Tuesday morning? What good was accomplished? What purpose was served by Ron revealing that commander's offensive players have come to him regarding Eric Bieniemy's coaching style? Uh, and then giving this rather cryptic response to the follow-up question by Nikki Javala by saying that players, quote, were a little concerned, end quote. Seriously, why put all of that out there? Again, this was that follow-up exchange. When they came to you, it was just they felt like Eric was riding them too hard? or Well, um, they just were a little concerned. And that was it. <laughs> that was how the press conference ended. I mean, I appreciate the openness of Ron Rivera. Like, the talk show host part of me appreciates that openness. But the fan in me uh, does not like this openness. The fan in me is like, why is our head coach putting this stuff out there? Why not just say, yeah, players are adapting to Eric Bieniemy just fine. Or, yeah, there have been some adjustments, but we have a great group of guys and we have a great coach at Eric and the players are acclimating to what Eric is doing. Why do the cryptic cliffhanger open-ended thing of saying that players, quote, were a little concerned? End quote. Concerned about what? <laughs> so now we arrive at Eric Bieniemy's post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning, his first session with reporters during 2023 Commander's training camp. The first exchange of the presser was this exchange between John Keim and Bieniemy. You know that you have a reputation for being, you have some intensity about you. So I'm curious, like, you know, Ron was talking about how, like, some players maybe had to get used to that. And they went to him and expressed and said, hey, sit down with, with Eric and kind of go over stuff. What is, you know, how do you approach that? And, you know, do you, do you how do you feel about that? And, and, and just having to deal with guys who maybe aren't used to that quite Well, first of all, one thing I am, I'm an open book. And I always invite players in. But also, too. As I've, I've gone through this process, yes, I am uh, intense. And I would be afraid, too, to start if I didn't know him. 
But on top of that, one thing they do appreciate is this. I'm always going to be upfront and I'm always going to be honest. Just like I stated when I first got here, we all got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. Okay? There's some new demands and expectations that I expect. I expect us to be the team that we're supposed to be. It's not going to be easy, and everybody ain't going to like the process. But when it's all said and done with, my job is to make sure that we're doing it the right way. There's a way to do it. Now, do they understand that? Yes, because they're seeing the results. Will everybody buy in? I believe so. But if not, it's okay. Because you know what? My number one job is to help take these guys to another level. And I can see it. Because when you think about where we started in the spring to where we are right now, we're making a lot of strides. I'm proud of these guys. It's been some, excuse my language, some good shit to watch. All right. First of all, great answer by Eric the Enemy right there. He did not get defensive. He instead calmly, rationally, articulately explained his side of things. As you may recall, this is exactly how the enemy was during his introductory press conference with the commanders this past February 23rd. Uh, here's my take. <laughs> the only commander's offensive player whose concerns with Eric Bieniemy I'd be open to is receiver Terry McLaurin. Terry is a great player. Terry has been a productive player. Terry is an extremely hard worker. Terry is zero drama. If Terry has concerns with the enemy, okay, I'm open to that. But otherwise, I'm not interested in concerns or complaining from commander's offensive players. Commander's offensive players who either just joined the team or have been part of the team, which has not had a good offense since the 2017 season. Washington, quantifiably, has not had anything close to what you could call a good offense since the 2017 season. I really don't have an appetite for concerns or complaining from guys who just got here or who have been part of a team that hasn't had a good offense in each of the last five seasons. You know, it's fitting that Eric Bieniemy's five seasons as Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator 2018 through 2022 coincided precisely with this five-season stretch of bad offense for Washington, 2018 through 2022. Washington's best ranking in total offense per DVOA for a regular season from 2018 through 2022 was number 21 for the 2021 regular season. Meantime, the Chiefs in each of those five regular seasons finished in the top three of the NFL in total offense per DVOA. And yes, Eric Bieniemy was not the Chiefs' primary offensive play caller, head coach Andy Reid was. And yes, these five seasons also coincide precisely with the great Patrick Mahomes being the Chiefs' QB1. But who the heck is any commander's offensive player, with the exception of Terry McLaurin, to have concerns about Eric the enemy's coaching being too hard or him being too demanding or anything like that. Okay, and I understand it's 2023, it's not 1953, okay? You can't coach now like people coached 70 years ago, okay? But I am sick of Washington being bad on offense. I think that most, if not all of you listening, are sick of Washington being bad on offense. The NFL now is a league of offense. It is a big problem that Washington has been bad on offense in each of the last five seasons. Eric Bieniemy is here to get the team back to being good on offense. And maybe he'll fail, okay? There are zero guarantees with Eric Bieniemy. I think you should be going into Eric Bieniemy with the commanders with eyes wide open. I know that I am. But, you know, every indication with Bieniemy is that while he does coach hard, he also coaches fair. So how about we give the guy a shot, okay? How about we give the guy a chance? And how about these players, if in fact they've been resistant to his coaching, be a little more open-minded to his coaching, okay? And maybe be a little tougher, all right? Now, we don't know what exactly these players' concerns have been. We don't know exactly how these concerns have been expressed. There's a lot that we don't know, which is part of the problem of Ron Rivera just putting this stuff out there as he did on Tuesday morning. But, you know, not all of the bad offense the last three seasons was the fault of the team's previous offensive coordinator, Scott Turner. Okay? Now, you can't sit here and say that Scott did some bang-up job. But, you know, I go back 
to this past January 7th. That major report from Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post headline, quote, Commander's players are frustrated with offensive play calling, end quote. And in the piece were players ripping Scott Turner. Logan Thomas, quote, the way I put it is, we got so much talent, we should be scoring more points than we have been, end quote. The report also included this, quote, nine other commanders who spoke on the condition of anonymity to be candid about a coach expressed frustration with the play calling, end quote. Listen, I'm not doubting what these players said, but these guys complained to the Post about Scott Turner. Now some players have complained to Ron Rivera about Eric Bieniemy. How about less complaining and more performing, okay? <laughs> How about we try that? Uh, this was more from Eric Bieniemy on Tuesday morning on his coaching style. I've been coaching since I retired from football. So you got to understand this. With the group, I'm always going to remain the same. I'm always going to be loud and I'm always going to be vocal. I'm always going to demand from our leaders. But on top of that, I'm watching everything. Okay, Body language. How we're addressing the huddle. How we're getting up to the line of scrimmage. How we're presenting ourselves. Those things are important because you got to send a message to the defense. And so I want our guys to clearly understand that we're not taking anything for granted. So when it's all said and done with, do I spend time with players? Yes. You guys have been here. You see me pull players on to the side and have long discussions with them just so we're all always on the same page. So Eric Bieniemy is, is who he is, okay? Eric Bieniemy knows how to adapt and adjust. Eric Bieniemy is a tough, hard-nosed coach, but also understand I'm going to be the biggest and harshest critic but I'm also their number one fan because I got their back and I'm going to support them at all times. Okay, uh, I could go without Eric Bieniemy speaking in the third person, <laughs> okay? I'm not sure that that's necessary. I mean, I don't know if he thinks that he's the rock or something, uh, but aside from Bieniemy speaking in the third person, I did like what Bieniemy said right there. Uh, what has brought Eric Bieniemy to the commanders is a very unique set of circumstances. A, a head coach in Ron Rivera, who this coming season is coaching for his job, in no small part because he has not had a good offense in any of his three seasons as Washington head coach. And B, Bieniemy having failed to get an NFL head coaching job despite the great success that the Chiefs had with him as offensive coordinator. Remember this stat. Eric Bieniemy, according to USA Today, has interviewed for 16 NFL head coaching jobs with 15 teams. He has not gotten a single one of those jobs. Why this has happened isn't clear. There are a lot of theories, but a big reason for Biennemi coming to the commanders is him wanting to show that he can run a successful offense without Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and parlay that into this long-sought NFL head coaching job. You know, this is a mutual using situation. Ron is using Eric to keep Ron's job as head coach. Eric is using Ron to become a head coach. And of course, it is possible that the head coaching job that Eric gets uh, is Ron's. Okay, like that could happen. Uh, has Eric Bieniemy been difficult to get along with? Does he coach too hard? Are these concerns from commanders players a window into why Bieniemy has not gotten an NFL head coaching job? Maybe. Okay, you can't dismiss that, but you also can't be certain of that. And I got to tell you, this whole scenario reminds me of what happened in Marty Schottenheimer's lone season as Redskins head coach and director of football operations, 2001. Do you remember what went down with Marty, with the general in that 2001 season? Marty was strict. Marty was demanding. Marty was big on attention to detail. He initially rubbed a lot of players the wrong way. The Skins began that 2001 regular season 0-5, but then a funny thing happened. Players took to Marty. They started to buy in. They started to believe, and the team won eight of its final 11 games from 0-5 to 8-8. Eight and eight. When a new coach comes in and is demanding, he rubs people the wrong way. That's unavoidable. But he also can end up getting very good results. And keep this in mind, too. From the perspective of the coach, it is a lot easier to start off demanding and then perhaps back off a bit than it is to start off with a backed-off approach 
and then get more demanding. You know, the former approach is much more doable than the latter approach. It's like the old thing about a guy in his first day in prison walking up to the toughest guy in the prison and punching him in the mouth. You know, you do that on day one. You don't do that on day 50. You set a tone from the beginning, or at least to try to. Uh, Eric Bieniemy on Tuesday morning got asked if there have been instances in which players have talked to him about his coaching style. Here was his answer. So before it even goes anywhere, I make it the point to address the conversation. Because one thing, my job is to be a very observant. I, I got to know the people that I'm discussing and, and, uh, and working with. So my job is to address there's something that they may have an issue with, please, let's discuss this. Here's the reason why I felt a certain way. Here's why I said it. Now, okay, I put it back on the player. And you got to understand, we're in a grown man's business. We're in a grown man's world. My job is to make sure that I'm doing the best possible job of over-communicating clarity. I take a tremendous amount of pride in that. They also know when I'm getting on them, ain't nothing personal. What's personal is that I want us to win. I expect that particular player to be great at all times. I expect the effort to be a standard that's uh, accepted by all of us. So when you're not reaching that, it's my job to address it. So sometimes they may like the highlights and the praise, but sometimes they may not like it. And I'm perfectly fine with that because that's my job. Because if I ain't doing my job, my ass get fired. So it's my job and my responsibility to make sure that I'm getting our guys to do what I expect them to do. And Eric Bieniemy is right about that. If he does not do his job well, he will get fired. Heck, this entire coaching staff could get fired if the team has a bad season. Well, Eric Bieniemy during his post-practice press conference on Tuesday morning did address some actual football matters. Here he was on how the man being positioned to be the team's QB1, Sam Howell, is doing. You know what, Sam is doing a good job. Sam's actually doing a hell of a job. I think sometimes early in, the, in, in camp, you can see where he was overthinking. But we've been putting a lot on our players. We've been putting a lot on his plate because I want him to understand there's a thing that you got to do. You got to process everything. And the thing that I've loved, I've seen the growth. You can see when he's confident, he's coming off the mound, releasing that ball. It's a thing of beauty. It's been fun watching this growth process, and I think the sky can be the limit for this kid. High praise from Eric Bieniemy on Sam Howell. Uh, here was Bieniemy on Tuesday morning on the man who is, at least currently, the commander's at QB2, Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby's doing a hell of a job. Jacoby has had a, had a great camp as well, okay? Jacoby has been competing. He's been doing everything that a veteran quarterback is supposed to do. He's led... He's shown by example, you know, he's been a voice for Sam. He's been a, a great voice in that quarterback room. And he's been a guy that just allows his personality to show. And Sam has gravitated to that, and he's seeing what it takes. And you got to understand, Sam is one of those kids, every day is a new day for him because he's never done it. And this is the first time for him every single day. So now he's like a kid in a candy store. He get to observe what Jacoby is doing. And some of that stuff is feeding right off of Jacoby. And it's feeding right into him. And they, got, they have an outstanding relationship, in my opinion. But it's been fun watching this group grow together. There will be a variety of ways to measure how good of a job Eric Bieniemy does this coming season. One of those ways, of course, will be the development of Sam Howell. And if Sam has a good 2023 season and the commander's offense isn't even great, but just good or pretty good or even decent, that will represent drastic improvement from the past five seasons. And that will make Bieniemy look good. Going back to that DVOA metric, defense-adjusted value over average, which I think is the best way to measure how good an offense is or a defense is or special teams are. Washington's best ranking in total offense per DVOA for a regular season from 2018 through 2022 was number 21, uh, that for the 2021 regular season. If the commanders for the 2023 regular season are, say, 16th or better, in total offense per DVOA. In other words, upper half of 
the NFL. That will represent substantial improvement, especially if this happens with a 2022 fifth round pick in Sam Howell as the QB1. But it's going to be hard for the offense to be substantially better if the players are not bought in. So I do hope that uh, these concerns that Rod Rivera revealed on Tuesday morning are things of the past. And again, (laughs) I do wonder, why did Ron even reveal the concerns to begin with? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So did you see or hear what former Nationals outfielder and current Philadelphia Phillies outfielder Bryce Harper said in an interview on the Phillies radio network this past Sunday, said Bryce regarding Philadelphia, quote, I wish I started my career here, end quote. Uh, He was talking about how great it is to play in Philly, and coincidence or not, (laughs) he, on the day before a four-game series against his former team was to begin, said, quote, I wish I started my career here, end quote. Well, the Nats on Tuesday, uh, beginning at 4.05 p.m., played a single-admission doubleheader at the Phillies for games one and two of a four-game series off game one on Monday evening having been rained out. Uh, Bryce did make his presence felt in this doubleheader, but so did the Nats. Uh, Game one of the doubleheader did not go well for the Nats, an 8-4 loss in a game in which the Nats blew a 3-0 third inning lead, but game two did go well for the Nats, a 5-4 win in a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-2 seventh inning deficit. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Nats manager Davey Martinez, the boys, uh, quite the comeback win on Tuesday night. Uh, The Nats for this regular season now are 50 and 64, but now have won 12 of their last 18 games. The hero of the win on Tuesday night was Joey Manessis. You know, Tuesday night's game was his 162nd career Major League regular season game. The Nats on August 2nd, 2022. What was 2022 MLB trade deadline day? What was the day on which the Nats traded outfielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres? Selected the contract of Joey Manessis from AAA Rochester. He had been a career minor leaguer. The 2022 season was Manessis's 10th minor league season and age 30 season. He entered the majors while already in his age 30 season, but he for the Nats has been such a pleasant surprise. And Manessis in this 5-4 win 
at the Phillies on Tuesday night came up huge. Manessis, as the Nats starting first baseman, had number two batter, went two for five with a two-run homer and a solo homer, and these were clutch homers. Manessis in an Nats two-run seventh, a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to left field to tie the game at four. The homer went a projected 406 feet per stat cast, and Manessis in an Nats one-run ninth, a one-out high-breaking solo homer to left field on a 1-2 pitch from Phillies reliever Craig Kimbrell for a 5-4 Nats lead. Joey Manessis through July 6th had hit just two home runs in this regular season, but he since then has hit nine home runs. He has caught fire, especially from a power-hitting perspective. Uh, another big homer for the Nats on Tuesday night came from Ildemaro Vargas. Uh, not exactly someone who you look to to hit homers, but Vargas on Tuesday night as the Nats starting third baseman and number six batter, two for four with a two-run homer and a single. Uh, Vargas in a Nats two-run fourth had a two-out, two-run homer to left center field for a 2-1 Nats lead. Uh, the Nats in their 8-4 loss at the Phillies in game one of the doubleheader hit two home runs. Lane Thomas in game one as the Nats starting right fielder and number two batter, one for five, but the one was a two-run homer. Uh, Thomas in an Nats two-run third, a full count two-run homer to left field for a 3-0 Nats lead. And Kbert Ruiz in game one as the Nats starting catcher and number five batter, three for four with a solo homer, an RBI single, and another single. He in an Nats one-run second had a one-out solo homer to right field for a one nothing Nats lead. Uh, also with a three-hit game for the Nats in game one was Dominic Smith. He is the Nats starting first baseman and number four batter went three for four with a double and two singles. Uh, also big for the Nats in their 5-4 win at the Phillies on Tuesday night in game two of the doubleheader was the bullpen. The Nats bullpen stunningly is a positive right now. This bullpen, which had been such a problem for so much of this season and which remains without so many key guys, is rolling right now. This game to win four Nats relievers combined for four and a third scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Outstanding work by these guys. Uh, now, Jose A. Ferrer did struggle. He faced six batters, but got just three outs. He gave up two singles and a walk. But Andres Machado, this guy has been lights out lately. I don't know where this has come from. Andres Machado on Tuesday night, one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts. He came into the game in the bottom of the six with runners on first and second, two outs, and the Nats trailing 4-2. And he induced a ground out by Nick Castellanos for the third out. Uh, then Jordan Weems, who has been awesome lately, a perfect bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. And then Kyle Finnegan who has been awesome lately, he tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth with two swinging strikeouts, which were of the Phillies' numbers two and three batters, Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper. A tremendous job by Kyle Finnegan. Heck, even in the 8-4 loss in game one, we had Joe LaSorsa tossing two perfect innings with three strikeouts, although the other Nats reliever used in that game, Amos Willingham, uh, he allowed two runs in one and a third innings. He in the bottom of the sixth gave up a two-run homer by Jake Cave to center field on an 0-2 pitch for an 8-3 Phillies lead. That homer went a projected 428 feet per stat cast. Uh, the Nats appointed Willingham as their 27th man for this doubleheader. But this was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night uh, on the Nats' 5-4 win in Game 2 of the doubleheader. Bullpen kept the game close. Um, you know, Joey had a great night. I mean, he really did. I mean, two big home runs for us. Uh, but, you know, I, as I always say, this team just keeps battling. You know, we, we play hard for 27 outs. Um, anything can happen in this ballpark, you know. Um, just got to try to get the ball in the air. So, I mean, it was a good night for Joey. Good night Good night for us. I, we split a doubleheader here. Uh, you know, fantastic. We come back tomorrow and go 1-0. Yes, sir. Well, the biggest negative for the Nats in this doubleheader split at the Phillies was the starting pitching. Uh, the 5-4 win on Tuesday night happened despite Josiah Gray struggling. He allowed four runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, a home run, two doubles, and three singles. He issued two walks. He did record five strikeouts, but he over his four and two-thirds innings threw 92 pitches, 58 strikes versus 34 balls. Uh, Gray allowed one run through four innings, but he in the bottom of the fifth was charged with three runs as he in that inning gave up a two-out, two-run homer by, yes, Bryce Harper uh, to right field 
for a 3-2 Phillies lead. And then in the 8-4 loss at the Phillies in Game 1 of the doubleheader, Trevor Williams got rocked in his return from the bereavement list, uh, which he was on for a good while, uh, July 31st to August 6th. Uh, Williams, in pitching in a game for the first time in nine days, allowed six runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, three home runs, a double and four singles. He did have seven strikeouts versus one walk. Usually a ratio like that suggests a good outing, but this was not a good outing. Uh, Williams, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 103 pitches, 64 strikes versus 39 balls. Uh, The home run ball is a real issue for Trevor Williams right now. Williams on Tuesday in the bottom of the third allowed three runs as he gave up back-to-back one-out homers. He gave up a one-out full count two-run homer by ex-Nat Kyle Schwarber to right field to cut the Nats lead to 3-2. Williams then gave up a one-out opposite field homer by Alec Bohm to right center field to tie the game at three. That homer winner projected 419 feet per stat cast. And then Williams in the bottom of the fourth gave up a two-out three-run homer by Kyle Schwarber on a bomb, a bomb to the second deck in right center field for a 6-3 Phillies lead. That homer would have projected 447 feet per stat cast. Uh, when Schwarber was with the Nats, we saw what he could do in terms of hitting these tape measure shots and uh he hit one there for sure. I mean, 447 feet, geez. Uh, Trevor Williams is struggling. Uh, his ERA for this regular season now is up to being exactly five over 23 starts. Game three for the Nats at the Phillies Wednesday evening at 640. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles ace reliever Felix Batista has had a terrific season. He entered Tuesday number six among all major league pitchers in wins above replacement. War, per baseball reference for this regular season, at 3.2. But Felix Batista is human, (laughs) and that was verified on Tuesday night. A painful loss for the O's on Tuesday night. A 7-6 loss to the Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game one of a three-game series. The O's in this game blew a 6-2 eighth-inning lead. Uh, And also in this game was O's manager Brandon Hyde getting ejected in the top of the six for arguing about an infield single by the Astros' Jeremy Pena. Uh, And also on Tuesday night was the Tampa Bay Rays winning uh, a 4-2 win over the St. Louis Cardinals. So Tuesday night, not a good night in Birdland. Uh, the O's for this regular season now are 70-43, and 43, uh, best record in the American League, but now just two games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Uh, we have talked about this Orioles bullpen. Can it be trusted After Felix Batista, a lot of shakiness in recent weeks. And now you have to ask yourself, what if Batista falls off? Uh, Now, in fairness, the Orioles' bullpen was terrific in the three-game sweep of the New York Mets at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this past weekend. Orioles relievers in that series combined for 10 scoreless innings. But Tuesday night, four Orioles relievers combined to allow five runs in three innings. Uh, Mike Bauman was charged with a run in one official inning of work. He tossed a perfect top of the seventh, then issued a leadoff walk of Kyle Tucker, remember that name, uh, to begin the top of the eighth and then got pulled from the game. Yanir Cano officially tossed a scoreless inning, but he in the top of the eighth gave up a two-out RBI single by Jeremy Pena to left field to cut the Orioles' lead to 6-3, despite him having been down in the count at one point. 1-2. So yet another instance of the formerly invincible Yanir Cano giving something up. Then Felix Batista in the top of the ninth was a disaster. He allowed four runs in two-thirds of an inning. He loaded the bases with one out on a walk and two singles and then gave up a one-out grand slam by Kyle Tucker to right field for a 7-6 Astros lead to conclude a nine-pitch plate appearance in which Tucker had been down at 1.02 and in which Tucker fouled off each of the four pitches before the pitch that resulted in the grand slam. I mean, 
Think about this plate appearance. You have Felix Batista, who is an elite strikeout pitcher. He has Tucker down 0-2, and yet Batista did not put Tucker away. Uh, And then Joey Crable in the top of the ninth faced one batter and got one out. Look, Felix Batista is not going to be dominant every outing. We get that. But this outing was really bad. And again, what if Batista falls off? As relievers can, okay? Most relievers are fickle. You know, you really can't trust any of them. What if Felix Batista falls off? Then what (laughs) for this Orioles bullpen? But it is one bad outing, so I'm not going to go nuts over it. But yeah, it was bad. Uh, The shame of what happened with the Orioles' bullpen on Tuesday night was that another good start by Grayson Rodriguez uh, went for naught. But let's not lose sight of this. Gray Rod is in a really good place right now. He, on Tuesday night, was good for a fourth consecutive start. Rodriguez, in this 7-6 loss to the Astros, allowed two runs in six innings. He gave up six hits, all of which were singles. He issued two walks and a hit-by-pitch. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw a lot of strikes. He over 93 pitches threw 63 strikes versus just 30 balls, and he again was throwing fire. Uh, Gray Rod, per StatCast, had an average four-seam fastball velocity of 98.3 miles per hour. He was Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night on Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I thought he battled. Uh, I didn't think his com- fastball command was as good as it had been um, his last few starts, especially early. Um, but give him a ton of credit for making pitches when it counted and, and only giving up those two runs there in the third inning. Um, but yeah, just a little bit of for me, the command wasn't as good as it had been the last few starts. Uh, but six innings, two runs against a great club. Nice job. Yes, it was. Grayson Rodriguez, since being recalled from AAA Norfolk on July 17th, has made five starts. He's been good in each of the last four starts. He, over those four starts, has an ERA of 266. Great to see, given how much he struggled in his first in at the Major League level in this regular season. Ten starts, an ERA of 735. Uh, The O's on Tuesday night did hit well enough to win. I mean, you score six runs, you should win. Uh, The O's did total just eight hits and two walks and did go just one for six with runners in scoring position, but four of the eight hits were extra base hits. The eight hits were comprised of two home runs, a triple, a double, and four singles. The Astros' starting pitcher was Framber Valdez, who came into the game with an ERA of 3.07 over 21 starts in this regular season and had thrown a no-hitter in his previous start. But the O's over the first two innings scored five runs of Valdez and over the first four innings scored six runs of Valdez, who did finish with a final line of six runs in seven innings. So he did settle down. That is a weird line, by the way, six runs in seven innings. Normally, if you give up six runs, you don't last for seven innings. But Valdez did on Tuesday night. Adley Rutschman as the Orioles starting DH and number one batter went one for three with a two-run homer and a walk. Rutschman and an Orioles three-run second blasted a two-out first pitch two-run homer to left field for a 5-0 Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 413 feet per stat cast. Rutschman for this regular season is number three among all qualified Orioles players in OPS at 800. And Ryan Mountcastle, he is the Orioles starting first baseman and number two batter, went one for four with a two-run homer, did strike out twice, but the homer was a moonshot. Mountcastle in an Orioles two-run first smashed a two-run homer on a bomb to left center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 2-0 Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 472 feet per stat cast. What a shot by Ryan Mountcastle. This looked like it was going to be another good night for the O's, but uh, alas, it was not. <laughs> Game two for the O's against the Astros Wednesday night at 7.05. Jack Flaherty will be the Orioles starting pitcher.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 630. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also talk nationals and Orioles. And that's on Wednesday evening at 640 of game three of a four-game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. The O's on Wednesday night at 705 of game two of a three-game series against the Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. And I'll talk to you on Thursday. Because if I ain't doing my job, my ass get fired. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.